Welcome to the Next Brave Thing podcast. My name is Ella Hooper, and I believe that breakthrough is on the other side of bravery. This podcast features brave stories, emotional health, and creativity to inspire you to take your next brave step. Well, Michelle, it's so good to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for joining me from Maastricht. I am so excited to be here. Thank you. Yes. Well, everyone who's um, joining us today, they can go back and listen to season two, episode six with Michelle Lynn on killing perfectionism. So you can hear some of her journey with um, overcoming and working through perfection. Um, But today I, I had so many people listen to this episode, Michelle. And I had one client listen to it like four times. And I was like, we need to get Michelle back on to really dive into the practicals of launching your creative business. Because I have a lot of clients that have creative ideas, but don't know how to execute or don't even know where to start. So um, I'm excited to have you on to dive into that. Um, But just for everyone joining that hasn't listened to the podcast, I'd love for you just to share who you are and what you do. Yeah, um, I totally hear that about creatives <laughs> because there's a lot there's a lot that we can get into about um, how do we start to share the most intimate part of what we do and the thing that is so precious to us and how do we build an audience around that. So um, definitely I'm, I'm Canadian, I'm a pianist, a classical pianist, and I moved over to Europe 10 years ago this summer. And I started a coaching company with my best friend who lives in Paris called the Fearless Artist Mastermind. And it's really about empowering artists to, um, well, be fearless in the sense of overcoming the many things that hold us back from finding our voice and sharing and taking action and um, working towards bringing what we do to an audience. Because ultimately, if you can't find a way to earn doing your creative work, you can't sustain it. Um, but that's not to say all of your income needs to come from being a creative. We talk about how to build a portfolio career and have diverse income streams. Um, and we do that through coachings and workshops and masterminds. Wow. That's so good. And so for everyone listening, like you have your masters in in piano performance, in, in piano performance. So a lot of people spend so much time working on their skill as an artist. They can be at becoming an artist. And then a lot of universities don't equip people to also be an entrepreneur, a business owner. Yeah. So how, because I met you when you were, um, yeah, trying to find more empowerment in your career. Yeah. So um, what kind of made you, what what gave you the idea to start Fearless? fearless artist. Um, yeah. So to your first point about there not being enough training, I think, yeah, the word like business terminology or the word business has kind of been uh, uncomfortable or not like a dirty word, but musicians have kind of shied away from that language because they think, oh, that's not our world. You know, we're creatives and there's been kind of this split. And then, um, as you said, when you finish your degree where they taught you how to be really good at your creative work, whether it's an instrument or you're an artist uh, or a photographer or what have you, And it's like, well, how am I going to actually live my life? How am I going to make a a living? How am I going to find clients? How do I set up a website? Or what about social media and, you know, building a brand? Do I need that? Do I need a business plan? I mean, these are big questions. And um, I think there's starting to be a shift in universities and conservatories from what I've 
heard about them starting to realize, oh, we should prepare our students for what comes after. And yeah. um, because there's been this idea that like, oh, you'll just figure it out. Like, good luck, get out there, win a competition and, you know, go get, go get a teaching job or something and, and figure it out. Um, mm. So I, I was kind of thrown into the deep end when I moved over here, I left my school and my country at the same time. And it was a huge shock to my system. And so then I didn't know really how to find my footing. And I mean, we can talk about this later, but I was just so crushed by wanting to be good and and feeling like I wasn't good enough that I stopped practicing. And that's uh, ultimate. And then, and then comes all the negative stuff about, well, maybe I should just give this up and quit and find something else Mm. and going back and forth, you know, being very double-minded about that. Like, do I keep doing this or not? And um, that will like drive you insane because when you haven't chosen, when you haven't committed and then you do these little spurts of, of energy or towards something. And you're like, well, maybe I'll just try. And then you get a good, you get a good experience, you know, maybe do a concert or something. Um, but then it wasn't quite your best because you didn't quite go for it. And so you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't do this anyway, because look, I wasn't good enough. And I tried a little bit and it didn't really work out. And so something that really helped me was this phrase, like commit and trust. I think it's like Psalm 36 or something, commit and trust. And it was like, but I, I don't want to commit. Cause what if when I do commit, I won't be good enough anyway. And how do I trust that it's going to work out? And you know, all yeah. of these big questions. Yeah. Um, I teach entrepreneurship now at two institutions over here in the Netherlands. So that's why I'm excited to see um, that it's starting to change. And I'm part of some curriculum development conversations, which are really exciting. Cause it's like, okay, what do we actually want to teach them so that they're ready or at least have some kind of idea and, um, and just the opportunity and the honor to work with uh, students 10 years younger and like get this in their mind now. Yeah. Um, so anyway, to yeah. the second point of why we started the fearless artist, uh, Deanna is my uh, business partner. She's a violist in Paris and she was invited to do a mastermind with some uh, classical music players that she studied with at Juilliard. Mm-hmm. And um, we, she was like, we, you, this is totally up your alley. You have to do this. So we jumped in with them. It was three months of, uh, calls and accountability and talking about different, uh, discussions. And it was, it was awesome. And I also missed some elements of facilitation. And so, uh, and I could see how the conversation could go deeper, but it kind of became hit a dead end or something. So anyway, I learned that when you feel very frustrated about something, it's usually an indication that you need to be the solution to that, yes. you know? So I would phone her after the calls and be like, Oh, you know, I really wish that we had done like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then after three months of like me phoning her <laughs> ranting, you know, I was like, we need to do this. We need to start our own. <laughs> um, this is it. This is a sign. And so I just kind of made an Instagram post and instantly I had, I think six or seven friends who were like, yep, let's do this. And it kind of grew in there. That's amazing. And so I'm hearing, because I want listeners to kind of take clues away or pings, like whatever is like highlighted or jumping out, because I think what you really indicated there is like a point of frustration or, or where you can see there's a gap here. So someone needs to fill it like and so that's usually a bit of a sign that can point you in a direction wow that's awesome so how how long have you had um the fearless artists like how long has it been now we started february 2020 and we had no idea what was about to happen (laughs) so our first meeting our first meeting was right before lockdown and we didn't know how much everyone was going to be online so it was kind of a perfect time to start having online meetings 
things and getting comfortable with things like Zoom and facilitation and talking, having, how do you have a deep conversation in a Zoom room? Um, what are some ways that we can get people to go deeper? Because these aren't superficial topics and you don't just want to, you know, pat someone on the head and be like, oh, well, you know, get back out there and try again. It's like, no, like we're dealing with some really intense stuff. I mean, I think a lot of musicians feel or creatives, I mean, you know, can get very isolated. Um, if they feel like they're the only person struggling with something, then sometimes there's a hesitancy to share that because you don't want to be seen as you're the only one with this problem, or you're the only one yeah. who has doubt, or, you know, a lot of musicians don't want to talk about how they're not practicing um, because it's, well, if you're a real musician, then you would just do it. That's part of our job. Like, why aren't you just getting it, getting the work done? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, slowly there's kind of been more conversations about even things like mental health, how to take care of yourself. How do you talk to yourself and yeah. just not being, um, yeah, n- not being ashamed if you're struggling. Yeah, that's powerful. So it's really cool because you mentioned like having multiple streams of income. So tell us a little bit about like, because you have being an entrepreneur, you kind of have, you're spinning a few plates, like you have a bit of a diverse, like you perform. Do you still teach as well? I had to stop. I had a full private studio of like 30 to 40 students for years. And I had to stop that just in September. So that was like my main income stream. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you teach, cause I know a lot of people, they, they might teach, mm-hmm. um, but then there's you kind of in that place of your time for money exchange, yeah. and then you also perform. So, cause I think like people are like, I'm not going to pursue cre- a creative career. And, and cause you know, I'm either all in and just performance or like, yeah. What would you say to someone who's like, I don't know, feeling a little powerless and stuck, like they don't, or how do they have capacity, I guess, to do have like multiple streams of income or different ways of bringing an income? Mm -hmm. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that we want to take off the idea that all of your income needs to come through your creative work for you to be considered a creative. Um, Yeah, most... I mean, a lot of musicians are like, unless I'm earning all my money playing, well, it's because you weren't good enough and you have to resort to other means. And then that can take away from your practicing and performing. And okay, there's elements of truth to this, but I think like, like hold up because even someone with a, and I hate this world, but you know, a a nine to five or a, a job, like example, lawyer or an accountant or whatever, like they have multiple streams of income. They're renting out their room on Airbnb, or they invest in real estate, or they have stocks or, and those are count. So other people in other, you know, normal industries do multiple streams and they don't, they don't wake up and think, am I less of an accountant? Cause I have money coming in through this one. <laughs> you know. So a musician wakes up and like, Oh no, like I have to go work uh, 20 hours a week at, as a, a content creator for an Instagram page. That's because I'm not a good enough singer. It's like, no, you're just being smart. And I think also when you have more things in your life, you just become better at managing your time because you literally have less time. Um, so yeah, that's first thing. Don't worry about uh, what you know niche or genre your money's coming through. Just look for what your strengths and your skills are. How can you earn some money? On, you know, I mean, I'm a fan of the side hustle. I don't, I don't advocate for hustle culture. I don't want people like burning out, but I do think right. it's good to say like, what can I be doing um, on the side to bring something in? And I don't know, Chris Valentin once talked about having five streams of income and that kind of hit me 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to look at what are five different streams that I could create in my life. And I think at the time, all of them were music related. Yeah. Um, but now the fearless artist has become kind of like a coaching uh, stream, which our content is around creatives and musicians. So technically it's related, but for someone looking, you know, just look to create space in a very small way and dip your toes in and do, do a course and talk to people who do it and kind of start to think in possibilities. I think yeah. that's the big problem is that people, people set themselves up to fail before they even try something. Cause they tell me all the reasons why it won't work. And I'm yeah. like, did you, even, did you even try? Or you're just taking one random story you heard about someone who did something and now you're deciding you can't do it either. I mean, can we just give this a little elbow grease before we throw in the towel? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a lot of people, they think that if they're not doing their creative thing full time, then they've failed. Yeah. And, um, and the thing is like, even if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to start your own business and maybe it's not necessarily a creative one, you can have a bridge job that will get you. And, and this idea of like, cause I think there was maybe it was kind of big in Australia of like, quit your job and build your own business. But then you get stuck in your own business and you get in the hamster wheel. And then you have all that responsibility of having a business. And it's like, actually you can take steps. Like you can break down and have a bridge job. Like for you, your bridge job is like, oh, my security is in like teaching. Mm -hmm. And then then that creates security. And the biggest thing for an artist to feel free to be creative, they need to feel secure. So I see a lot of artists take big risks in like creating, like wanting to step out and whether it's move to Hollywood and become an actor, but then they're in survival mode because they can't pay their bills and then they can't be creative. And it's like, you can actually build like, you know, a bridge job that is in the same industry that you want to be in that serves the greatest greater goal, if that makes sense. So I'm curious to know, like, how have you redefined success for you? Yeah. I mean, I just want to affirm what you just said a hundred percent. I think that's very crucial that, and Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in big magic, which you recommended, you know, as soon as we make all of our money come from our creative work, it puts a lot of pressure on the creative work. And as you said, like, you need security. Your brain literally needs security. If you are in financial need, then that's what your brain is going to be focusing on. So how can you focus on creating? And a bridge job, I mean, as you said, my teaching job was my stability for many years. So then it concerts come and go and I didn't have to um, panic when things weren't coming. I was looking for them and I was trying to make it happen more, but I knew that I could like sleep and eat and yeah, um, so I was giving rest. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and I also just wanted to add to that. I think a lot of people discount the importance of just being, you know, say you are doing a a non-creative job, but within the same sector, like, Mm. you know, say you're a content creator for musicians, you're still in the world. There's so much that's going to be rubbing off on you by learning, listening, being around people who are doing it, you know, maybe even something like being a stand-in for an acting gig. Okay. You're not the actor, but you're, you're watching how it is on set. You're seeing how it is to be on camera. You're being lit. I mean, you're, you're hearing the conversations, you're feeling the energy, you're in the zone. That's going to help give you vision for how you can become if you wanted to be the actor, right? It's not, it's very important that we don't say, okay, it's the all or nothing thing because I'm not the number one, then it's nothing. It's like, no, you, as you're saying, I think 
embracing the steps to get there is extremely important and can lead to more opportunities that you never even thought about. I think our careers are like a spider web or, you know, um, Cheryl Sandberg from, from Facebook says it's like a jungle gym. And we think it's a ladder and like, here's the next rung. Here's the next step. It's like, not for creatives. You just like grab the next rock and you try and throw yourself up a little higher. And then you look for what next possibility is. And you kind of build from there. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So defining success, um, there was a very clear understanding in my mind of what it meant to like make it as a musician for a long time. And I think that was probably people who are, you know, playing the big halls, uh, playing with the big orchestras, um, doing the kind of tour stuff that way, maybe teaching on the big, I don't know if I ever wanted like a faculty job at Juilliard or something that wasn't really on my radar, but definitely like the big performing career. And so there's like 1%, I don't know, obviously it's not a true statistic, but there's a very few amount of people who ever have a music career that looks like that. So what does it mean for everyone else? Does it, does it automatically mean that everyone else who doesn't have a career like that was like just not good enough? And so then they had to resort to being the nice piano teacher down the street. That's how it was in my mind. It was very yeah. black and white. Like, oh, you didn't make it. So now you have to be, you know, just teaching piano all day. Yeah. And um, I think redefining success meant like, well, First of all, if it's not, there's no point then if you, if you can't get that number one, then you, you should just give up completely because there's nothing left. Like you've, you've defined it to be so small and it's quite difficult to achieve. And I didn't do the big competitions. Then it's like, you've, you've by definition told yourself that you've failed. So is that true? Does that have to be true? Are Mm. you still a good pianist? Do you still have something to say? Do you still have something to give? Can you create around you? And then looking at other musicians who aren't in that coveted 1% thing and saying, well, they have really cool careers and they're doing nice things. Like, are they not good enough? Like, why do we define these things as being so narrow? Mm. Um, And then looking at other skills and strengths, seeing um, creatives who've done cool other projects like crossover projects. I mean, when you watch someone else do something, and they look like they're having the time of their lives. You're like, okay, I think that we can start to kind of ask ourselves, did we define it correctly in the beginning of what it would mean? Yes. And then the second thing is yeah. that you hear people who do have those really, the ideal thing that we think that we want, and they're not really happy. And yeah. okay, that's not true for everyone, but it was, I had this experience. I was at a piano festival and I didn't even, I didn't even play in the festival. Cause honestly, that was in the season of my life when I was hiding and very scared and not practicing. So I, I didn't even audition for the festival, but I wrote them and said, I'll come volunteer. Cause I just wanted to, again, put myself in that world. So the idea of like osmosis yes. and this guy, he had won queen Elizabeth and it's like, that's a big piano competition and he's amazing. And he's probably in that top percentage that I'm describing. And he just didn't seem, I'm like, do you understand that you're living the dream? Like, do you feel that? Do you get that? Are you, are you aware that you are what everyone wants to be or what, you know, at that time I was defining that as, and he didn't seem very happy. And I was like, maybe we're not doing this right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's not what I think it is. Wow. Yeah. And even if you look at the, the world today is very different than 10 years ago, especially like people are making careers on social media or on YouTube that feel like the, the world is progressing. So we need to shift our expectations of what success is, um, and evolve past like the old narrative. And I'd love you to speak to, um, you mentioned kind of, I love that example of like a ladder versus a jungle gym because in conservatory I know when I went to acting conservatory it was like you train to be an actor you have a showcase you hopefully land 
land an agent. Then you start auditioning. Um, and you're really at the mercy of getting picked. You feel really powerless as an actor. And I, I'm sure it's similar to being a musician is you're waiting to be picked and you're, you're doing what you can. You're practicing, you're submitting auditions or trying out for competitions and doing all those things. But then it's, it's like you can go that linear way and, but that feels really powerless. So you've kind of spoken about how you teach um, your art as a business um, at universities now. What would you say to that artist to get them out of that powerless position where they're waiting to be picked? I have this student in my class and she's lovely. And I was trying to get them, you know, what does entrepreneurship mean? And she said, when you want it, you go get it. And I was like, yes, that is it. That is entrepreneurship 101. Like you want it, you go get it. So Deanna had this phrase that says, stop waiting for the phone to ring. You pick up the phone, you make the call yourself. And so it's just that idea of, yes, there is an element of our careers where we need to like, quote, be picked. But I mean, the more times you can get in front of people, the more likelihood there is of that happening. And so getting in front of people means putting yourself out there. It means sticking your neck out. It means making the calls. It means knocking on doors. And, um, you know, you helped me a lot with that when you, one of our sessions, it was like, okay, we can't put the keys to our career in the hands of other people where they would have the control or the definition of if we become successful. It's like, then, then you are literally powerless to the opinions of other people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's interesting that we were going to talk about a little bit of scarcity because there is an element of truth to that. Like if you don't get picked by the jury, then you don't win the prize. Like there is truth in that. But then I think we have to kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture of does that one competition then mean that you're, you know, there's a lot of people who have won a lot of competitions that didn't necessarily lead to what they thought it was going to lead to. Like nothing, a lot of this stuff is kind of irrational or not sure. And we build things maybe on kind of like a faulty foundation. Um, So I, I just try to encourage, well, first of all, myself, and then people around me, like you have to share what you're doing and show how you can work so that people will know, okay, she's out there and I I could bring her in for this project or we could, we could use her this way or whatever. And, and that's, that starts, that's a different way of starting because that started with me choosing, I'm going to create and share and then see what happens. And that's, that's a mindset of abundance. That's a mindset of opportunity. And yeah. it's not sitting in fear being like, oh, like, I hope they pick me. And if they don't, then that means that I can't do anything. That's powerlessness. Yes. Yes. And you talk a bit about um, building a personal brand. Can you speak to that? Like what it means to, because I think that all of this, like even in, you know, I work with a lot of artists and they're looking to find their voice or their their authenticity or their uniqueness. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that it's a more vulnerable thing to do than people probably realize than just building a personal, like, you know, getting nice font um, or a good style guide. So like, tell us what building a personal brand has meant to you or what it means. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, branding definitely does include the fonts and the logos, as you're saying, but it's much more than that. It is uh, the message of who you are. It is what people say about you when you're not in the room. It's how people will remember you. It's a feeling that they have after they've worked with you. 
And it's really like the searing image of you in their minds after you've stopped working with them or, you know, you're, you're out of the room as they say. So um, what message are you sharing and how are you bringing that message in short, repeatable phrasing over and over so that it sticks? I mean, the idea of like you heat the iron in the fire and you brand the animal on the farm, right? Like it's that heating of the message, clear, concise, um, talking about something very specifically. Um, and then, you know, you find your voice by using it. So a lot of people will say, well, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what to share. It's like, well, start by start by sharing what you're already doing. What does life look like to be you? And let's uh, create content around that in the sense of like categories of content. So as a musician, it's like, I'm going to have performing videos. I'm going to have practicing videos. I'm going to have teaching videos. And by the way, I want to get hired as a performer and a rehearsal pianist and a teacher. So I'm creating content around the ways that I want to be hired so that the branding, the messaging that I'm giving the world that's watching is okay. like, if you want to work with Michelle, the artist, you can work with her as either a performer or a collaborative pianist or a teacher. And then when I chose to transition out of uh, teaching piano, I no longer created content around teaching piano because I don't want to be branded or remind reminding people that I teach piano because I don't want to be hired that way. So I think, yeah, branding is first figuring out what are you doing? what are you, What's the message you're bringing through your work? And then how can you share it in short form over and over and over so that people like, and a really fun game that we play with our clients is like, we name big classical musician names and we're like, okay, what are the first three words you think of when you think of them? Mm. So like, I'll name a conductor and they'll, they'll say like, oh, the hair or his extravagant gestures or, um, you know, Leonard Bernstein, for example, uh, does a lot of educational videos did, sorry, um, on Beethoven teaching on, on children's TV. So, you know, he's a pedagogue, he's an educator. Okay, great. Now, how do you want people to remember you? And now if you choose those keywords, you know, those are tied to your core values, then you start to realize how can I share messaging or content if we talk on, on a digital platform around those keywords so that people, when they think of you, will be like, oh yeah, that's the girl that talks about killing perfectionism. That's the girl that helps um, artists overcome shame. Um, she talks a lot about being wholehearted artists. What does a wholehearted artist mean? Well, let's let's see what she talks about next and maybe she'll dive into that a bit more. Mm. Um, yeah. That's so cool. That's such great. Um, there's so many wisdom bombs inside what you said because and practical steps, which is really, really awesome. And um, I guess like coming back to the topic of you mentioned abundant thinking versus scarcity thinking. Um, what are some ways that you've had to kind of reframe your scarcity thinking? like into an abundant way of thinking. I mean, I just always thought I wasn't enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't ahead. I was too old. I was behind. I was without a teacher. That was a big one. Oh man. Not having a teacher like killed me because it was like, I was spoon fed on how to play and how to practice. And I, I never learned how to walk on my own two feet. And then I got I finished school and as I said earlier, like left, left my country and my school at the same time. And I was floundering. Like I had no idea how to think for myself. Um, and then I was scared. So I didn't want to take initiative. Cause what if I got it wrong? And then, and then you get on social media and you start comparing yourself and look at this pianist and they're playing here and they're doing that. And you'll, you know, so it was just like a mess internally and combining that with a very high uh, self-criticism and perfectionism. So like that all or nothing thing, like if, you know, if you're not practicing six hours a day, well, it's just because you don't take it seriously. And so a lot of judgment. Um, so, you know, it kind of had to start scraping away at this very unhealthy 
I don't yeah. know, foundation that I built um, that way. And then little things started to kind of shift how I thought. So I remember once I was um, invited to speak on a radio program about an upcoming concert. And I think I just started to dive into the fearless artist content because the girl said we should start a coaching um, show where we could like have callers call in and we would just give them a few minutes of our time and advice. And, and that I, we had just finished this time together, uh, an interview where I had finished telling her about my current projects. And there was some things that were exciting that were going on. And, you know, when you talk about the highlights in your life, it can sound impressive. So I think this girl had like a, you know, a good impression of what I was doing and probably it was good things, but we're always too hard on ourselves. So anyway, so she says, let's start this coaching thing. And I said, but I'm not. And I said, I don't have, and I didn't finish the sentence. And I think in my head, I was thinking like, I don't have accreditation as a coach. I don't know if I would be helpful. I don't, blood. and she looked at me and she said, you don't have what Michelle, mm. you don't have what? And it was, it was like, it was like, Whoa, this like big red flag. Cause it's like, wait a second. I do have what I need. Yeah. I do have everything in front of me. And if I don't know the knowledge now, I can find the knowledge. Like I'm smart. I'm educated. I went through school. It's like, I thought I was stupid for a long time. And I thought that if I don't know it now, that means I can never know it ever. And the, all of those things are uh, attributes of a fixed mindset where you yeah. think that you have a limited amount of knowledge and however good you are currently is how good you will ever be. And we forget that we can grow or pick up a book or make a phone call and ask someone. And we forget that we're allowed to repeat five, six, seven times you know, I was coming from the mindset, like, if I don't get it right now, that means I'm because I'm stupid that I didn't understand. And I've read a lot about how kids who are uh, gifted in the beginning of their lives, they get everything that comes really easily to them. So therefore, they never learn that sometimes things take time to learn. And there's a process behind that. And they learn that, okay, if I don't, I get it, I get it right away, because I'm smart. So mm -hmm. that I attribute being smart to being fast. And so next time, if something's too hard for me and I don't get it fast, well, now I'm stupid. So, so I can't learn. So I can't wow. study. And yeah. So it was like, I was stuck there for so long because I was, you know, my mom taught me how to read when I was little and I could, I could do everything right away. And being, again, we were just talking about before we got on the call, being in small towns growing up. So then very quickly, if you're good at anything in a small town, you're going to rise and be the best in what you're doing. So then you, you start to associate yourself with winning everything and being fast and being on top. And then you go into a bigger center or a bigger school. And like my teacher had to rip down my technique from scratch. And then I looked around and everybody was playing amazing. And so you're just like, wait, what is this new world and where do I fit in? And I think I instantly started allowing a lot of, of these limiting beliefs to come into my life and limit what, what I could do. I didn't believe in growth or potential. I just thought this is it. I'm capped and I don't know what to do now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so helpful. Even just to give language to probably how, like, it's probably how a lot of people think if they were quick learners or were excellent growing up, like right away. And, and I love that you're bringing up because that, because this journey, we have to get comfortable with process and things taking time. And I think yeah, I think that's why we short circuit ourselves a lot of the time in our creative endeavors, because yeah. we don't just step out of the boat and take the risk. So I guess in closing, like what advice would you give to someone who has, um, is working their nine to five 
and has this creative desire to knows that they're meant to do something more or has a creative gift and they've kind of been working on it but they want to take it more seriously what kind of practical advice would you give them um to the practicals and then to the emotional yeah it's good that you mentioned that cuz i mean i think there are two huge two sides of the coin of being a creative, right? You've got all of the business side. So like the marketing, the content creation, the admin, the invoices, finding clients, who to sell to, the income, all that stuff. And then on the other half, you have all the emotions. So judgment, criticism, perfection, not being good enough, limiting beliefs. Um, and we have to deal with both of those sides. Yes. And um, to, yeah, you've helped me so much with that emotional, wholehearted side and um, yeah, in terms of starting, uh, if you have a nine to five, I mean, obviously I can't speak to anyone, everyone, because it might be like a really intense, I d- it depends how much energy you have at the end of the day. But I would just say, if you are working on your art, if you are creating, that means you can be sharing because content creation is just about documenting what you are already doing and then presenting it in short form content. So stop overthinking it, you know, turn your camera on while you're practicing, turn your camera on while you're drawing or painting or whatever, take 30 seconds, post it next day, same thing, post it next day. If it's three times a week, it doesn't matter because it's going to snowball from there. You're going to start to find an audience. You're going to start to be able to engage with that audience and see what they like. And also you'll find other creatives in your niche and then ideas will come to you. Collaborations will come to you. You'll see what other people are doing. You'll get inspired. And it will grow from there. And then I think in terms of, you know, any, if you have, you can find an hour a day to work on your thing. You, maybe it's getting up half an hour and you do it right before you go to work. Cause you still have your energy then. Cause by the time you get home, you're tired. You need to like, you know, hang out on the couch and go to bed. Like whatever it is, you got to find just that little carved out time. I think for me having to now balance so many different things, I've learned a lot about um, time blocking and focus sessions where you monotask you pick one thing, you turn off your phone, you know, a big time and energy waster is jumping between tabs or tasks, or, you know, you pick up your phone, you get a message and then your brain goes in a million directions. And it's like, okay, just give me 30 minutes to work on this. And then the last one minute I'll turn my camera on and then I'll make the reel on, on the bus to work something like, you know, find what works for you. Start very, very small and Mm. it'll grow from there. And also like, stop judging your content. Like it gets better as you do it. My first Instagram live was a disaster. I was sitting in the corner. I didn't have any light on my face. I didn't have a tripod. I was waving my phone around. I didn't have a script. It was terrible. And now when I do an Instagram live interview, you know, I set the questions in advance. We've got the ring lights in front of the window. It looks way better. And I never would have been able to do this if I hadn't have done the very, very terrible first version that is now deleted. You have to remember you can delete content. Yeah. Stop thinking that you're carving your soul online. You're not. You're just sharing a little piece. Most people are scrolling. They're not really paying attention that much anyway. You're just putting a drop in the ocean and then you're going to do it again. And every time you get a little bit better and you're going to figure it out as you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's and then so the, good. Yeah. The emotional side is, is kind of just connected to that. Like stop judging what you're doing. And just let your creative artist come out, give them space to breathe, give them space to bleed and just honor that, that part of you, because it's there for a reason. You have a voice for a reason. There are people out there who need to hear your voice and nobody wins when you play small. Nobody wins when you stay silent because there are people who need to hear what you have. And also you are crushing your own self. If you're not sharing what's in you to be shared. 
Yes, that's so good. Oh, I love that. But there's like this lottery mindset, like with social media, that your one post is going to go viral. And I think like if your intention is to, and your focus is on creating like, you know, something that's going to go viral while that's like good, like that would be a good thing to happen, but it, it actually can make you really defeated when it doesn't. So I think even just reframing to, I'm going to just like, for me, I'm putting out a podcast every week. And that is like, my goal is to be consistent in putting out work. So that is what success is. If I can get to the end of the year and have put out 52 podcasts, then that is success to me rather than like, because I can't control the results of it, but I can, I, and I feel like I'm learning so much about myself as I put content out there and you find your voice by putting it out there. So I love that you gave that advice. It's so good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, Are there any final things that you'd like to share with the audience, the final charge or yeah, any final things? I mean, just reflecting what you just said, you know, you can't control the outcome, but you control your input. Yeah. Um, so we need to stop making decisions based on results and make decisions based on, I'm going to put in the work, I'm going to sow the seed and then see where the harvest comes. I mean, I could not ever have planned teaching at two universities. I got both these jobs within the last year, never, ever. And the reason I got them was because they saw me talking about these things on my socials, on my website, that this is a message that I believe many people need to. And now I have the authority of institutions behind me. And I was ready to do it on my own for the rest of my rest of my life. I'm like, I don't need, you know, a name, but now I'm very grateful to have the name because it's able to open doors with other institutions and say, let's talk about this and prepare the next generation. Wow. So, you know, focus your input and and leave the output. That's the exciting part about our careers. You don't know what direction things can go in. You don't know how things can change based on who is going to find you. Um, so yeah, to be found, you need to be seen. And to be seen means you need to put yourself out there. Yes. Oh, I love that we ended the podcast with that testimony because that's exactly it. And I found the same, like, as soon as I started putting podcasts out there, I started getting speaking opportunities and like different opportunities, but they really came from nowhere or because they saw that like, oh, that person believes in herself, (laughs) like, her, you know? (laughs) So, So I think that that's such a powerful testimony is yes, it is out of control, but you do get these fun surprises along the way. So I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And um, guys, if you're listening, please send in your questions and maybe we can do another podcast on any questions like that, that come up for people as they listen. But thanks for joining, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. Please download, share with your friends and write a review. If you would like to book in a life coaching session with me, go to my website at www.ella-hooper.com or follow me on Instagram at Next Brave Thing Podcast.